Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. How are you this fine, sunny week in Ireland, Paddy? I am absolutely sweating my tits off. Yep. I'm on my second or third t-shirt of the day, and I have another one in front of me for just drying myself as I sweat. My hands are sweating, like my palms. I was like, I didn't even know I had sweat glands. Absolutely. Um, but look, realistically, we shouldn't complain. However, I'm going to complain for a second because my room is directly south-facing, and... Right now, even with the blinds down, even with everything, windows open, everything, it's about 40 degrees in my room. So if you're on the old YouTubes and you're watching this, if you see a nice little glisten off my face, that's why, right? Um, I'm perspiring profusely. Um, but anyway, look, the weather has been fantastic. It is, and this won't come out till next week, so who, who knows, you know, the weather could be shite by then. But anyway, we won't give out. We will just accept the fact that the glorious sun has come out to play and give us a nice sun-kissed tan. Although there's a lot of red people walking around in Ireland these last few days because us Irish people don't really see the sun. And when we do, we decide, you know what, it actually would be great to sit out for as long as humanly possible. And despite the fact that there's been no uh, lead-in time, no exposure time, no... uh, graduated exposure to this you know we talk about those kind of things about other stressors or other stimuli uh, such as training you know you, know, you want to graduate you know slowly introduce that stimulus however people have not been doing that with the sun and as a result they have been burning to a crisp i've seen a lot of let's call them fair-skinned people and yeah a deep red it's a it's a deep red Better red than blue, as the man says. But anyway, today we're going to be talking about carbohydrates and fats and their relevance to a fat loss diet. And in separate episodes uh, in the past, this has certainly come up as a relevant topic. But over the past couple of episodes, what we've been doing is moving from the basic principles of fat loss, such as energy balance, how you set your calories towards protein and the role of that in a fat loss diet. And now moving on to one of the areas where a lot of controversy or confusion exists, and that's carbohydrates and fats. And the reason I say that is because, you know, I remember when I first kind of got into to fitness, I came in from maybe the bodybuilding side of the fitness space. And at the time it was very much, uh, all diets were pretty much low fat diets. You know, the diet was based around lean meats and potatoes, vegetables, rice, etc. It was pretty simple. So as a result, early on, I would have thought that, you know, lower fat diets were always going to be better and that I should restrict my fats if I want to lose body fat. On the other side of things, you know, it's also very popular for people to pursue low carbohydrate diets. And that's true both within the fitness industry and broader, you know, in, in culture generally, you'll always hear people say phrases like, you know, no carbs before marbs, or, you know, I'm trying to keep my carbs low, independent of other factors in the diet. So, these are very relevant topics of conversation that we can hopefully clear up today and give you some, some practical takeaways as to the role these, these macronutrients play in the diet. Yeah. And see, this is the thing. It really just depends on what you have been exposed to. Cause you can come to this episode and be like, yeah, yeah. man, obviously I just, I understand calorie balance. I understand, you know, general macronutrient science or, you know, nutrition science. I'm like, this is an irrelevant discussion. However, 
you can kind of feel that way if you're in the fitness industry. However, if you're not in the fitness industry, in fitness industry, like just think of your, your, I don't know, maybe your mother, your father, or like, you know, your auntie, your uncle, or someone that's related to you that maybe is a little bit older and, you know, they're not on Instagram scrolling through fitness memes, you know, um, like their understanding of carbs and fats, for example, is probably heavily influenced by pretty piss poor resources you know like a lot of people just get their information about this stuff just from fucking like you know the a newspaper column by like you know some random person that has no credentials like you see this all the time like you see in the newspaper someone will be like oh like because obviously we're in ireland and um, i know we have a lot of uk and american and australian listeners but anyway we're in ireland and um, you'll see people be like ireland's top fitness trainer or ireland's top nutritionists or whatever and you're like how are you even measuring that, right? You, this is just some fucking random person that, you know, you're trying to big up and market or whatever, but they don't actually, they're not Ireland's top fitness trainer. They're not Ireland's top nutritionist. They're just some fucking random person, right? And you'll see this oftentimes, it just, they just come out with absolute fucking waffle. They're like, oh, low carb diets are the best or low fat diets are the best or high carb, you have to have high carb for this or you have to have higher fat or you should eat a ketogenic diet or blah, 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 whatever. They'll just come out with this stuff and it's very poorly, I hate even say like very poorly researched, but just very poorly, you know, backed by any credibility other than I'm Ireland's top fitness fucking influencer or whatever, you know? Um, and this obviously leads to a situation where people just have no fucking clue about nutrition overall. So we're going to clear something up uh, today. And that is basically, again, the role of carbs and fats, car- carbs and or fats <coughs> on a fat loss phase, a fat loss diet, right? Because obviously, look, we're not going to be able to cover every single thing related to carbs and fats in the diet um, right now. Um, but in relation to fat loss, there are some specific things that we can, you know, tease out so that you can go away from this episode, either being able to better educate your own clients, if you are a coach yourself, or being able to make more informed decisions around nutrition yourself, right? And hopefully not falling victim to some pretty poor practices overall that, you know, in our experience and our um, time doing this stuff, um, they don't really lead to the best outcomes. You know, you'll see certain diets that are just like, yeah, okay, I can understand why this would lead to calories being reduced, but it's not actually a sustainable diet, right? And that brings me to two things to really start this podcast. And that is, first of all, the thing that we've been hammering on about in the last few episodes is, of the last little while and pretty much all the time, is that, you know, calorie balance is the thing. It is the driver. It is the thing that is making fat loss occur, right? If you are not in a calorie deficit, and by that, I mean, you are not eating less food, you're not taking in, or you are taking in less energy than you give out, right? If that situation is not occurring, you're not going to lose weight you're not going to lose fat well you could technically lose weight like i'm definitely losing weight right now sweating <laughs> you know um but if that doesn't occur you're not like in a cal- calorie deficit fat loss is not going to happen we're not going to get the goal that we want so that is the fundamental we have to keep that in mind however what we want to look into is two things from that we want to look into something that is sustainable for the rest of your life because most people listening to this they're not in this for like oh, I only want to lose weight for the next four weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks. And then I don't care about anything after that. Most people would like to lose the weight if they're looking for fat loss, that is, you know, like obviously not everyone wants to lose weight, but if they're looking to to lose weight, they're looking for fat loss. They want to be able to sustain that for the rest of their life. They don't want to be like, 
oh, I lost, you know, 20 kilos and then I gained back 20 kilos. You know, it's like, for most people, that's not the goal, right? Now, obviously for some people it is, but for most people it's not, right? And then also, so the sustainability aspect of it, there's also then on top of that, the actual, we'll call it enjoyability aspect of it, you know? Like there might be this really fantastic fat loss diet that has you eating certain macronutrients or certain timing strategies or whatever. And it might be something that you're like, yeah, this is fantastic in terms of the fat loss results that I get. But if it's not actually enjoyable and like you're not able to socialize, you're not able to actually eat with your kids, for example, different things like that. If it's not actually enjoyable on a day-to-day basis, then we're not going to enjoy it. We're not going to actually get the results that we want in the short term. And we sure as fuck are not going to get the results that we want in the long term. Because again, if it's not enjoyable, it's very unlikely to be sustainable, right? So with all that in mind, the first question I have to you, Gary, to kick all of this off is that uh, should we cut out fats or should we cut out carbs? Like what's the, what's the answer? That's all I want. We'll just get a brief answer here now and then we'll just wrap up the podcast. Hey, if you want to lose fat as quickly as possible, just drop out both, eat only protein, six, 800 calories a day and the fat will fall off you. Very unlikely to be sustainable and very unlikely to be very uh, social, particularly at the moment here in Ireland. The pubs and restaurants are just starting to kind of reopen. Uh, people are going out. I know a lot of my clients are struggling a little bit with the social side of things. I couldn't imagine many of them being too keen to just eat chicken breasts and steak, although um, very delicious, but not 600 or 800 calories worth per day. So obviously, technically, if you just remove everything, like that's the best way to lose weight. But the reality is that there isn't much of a difference really between removing carbohydrates and removing fats or cutting either of them um, independent of the change in calories. Like if you reduce by 200 calories from carbohydrates or 200 200 calories from fats, it doesn't actually make a difference to your fat loss outcomes. Now that's an average statement. It's a broad sweeping statement. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true for you because for you as an individual, you might actually just prefer fattier foods like you might really enjoy whole eggs you might just not find chicken and turkey to be particularly palatable and you prefer things like steak and salmon so your culture might even just be like exactly exactly and i mean that's especially the case if you're eating with family and with other people you know that's something that i see quite frequently with um you know we've a lot of people who would be living at home for the moment because they might have came home from traveling or you know they would be if they're students they might have been in college but now they're living at home because of the whole pandemic situation and eating family meals presents an additional barrier it's very difficult to keep dietary fat quite low if you're consuming lots of richer foods so to speak so in those cases preferences do come into what actually leads to the best outcomes. Now there may actually be biological factors there as well, where some people might just feel more energetic on a, either a lower fat, higher carb or lower carb, higher fat diet, or maybe they feel like their digestion is improved or various other reasons. But ultimately what I'm getting at is that if a particular dietary pattern helps your adherence, it's better for you. But on average, it doesn't seem to make much of a difference. Some of the reasons that would be posited for it potentially making a difference would be at the very basic level, people might assume that eating less fat causes you to store less fat because you don't have the fat available. But the reality is that that doesn't quite pan out because effectively, if you've got super high carbohydrate intake, 
all of that can be diverted towards energy stores and then you've got more fat available. Whereas you've, if you've got a lower carbohydrate diet where you've got higher fats available, now those fats can be used more for energy and you've still obviously got more available than for storage also. So it doesn't work out as simple as we would like. Other things that fall into the kind of rationalizations that people would use would be related to particular hormones. For example, one that comes up very frequently would be insulin, where people will say carbohydrates um, will stimulate insulin. And as a result, insulin will lead to increases in body fat because it's typically considered to be an anabolic hormone. However, again, that's a bit of an oversimplification because fat can be stored um, in the absence of insulin. It's not necessarily insulin dependent, it's supported by that, but it's not dependent on it. And if there's more fat available as a result of not having carbohydrates, then it's much easier to store those additional fats away. So ultimately, all this comes back to this being an energy dependent process and whether or not you lose weight um, is dependent on overall calorie intake. There may be some other differences that we don't entirely account for. For example, if someone has a higher carbohydrate intake, it's more likely that they'll also have a higher fiber intake and things like resistant starches, etc. And if that is the case, and that's accounting for a significant portion of calories, that's actually not technically digested in the same way that carbohydrates are. So as a result, the person might have a lower energy intake, even though externally they're measuring the same. So that might impact outcomes. Additionally, things like fiber and food volume, et cetera, can impact satiety. So someone might feel more full on that diet. And again, that kind of goes back to what we said about adherence. And then finally, there are differences in terms of uh, oxygen consumption slash, met slash metabolism with carbohydrates versus fats. And it has been posited that there might be a slight metabolic difference for people who are on a ketogenic diet, for example, they might burn slightly more calories, but that hasn't really panned out too well. And certainly wouldn't be something that we'd consider to be overly significant. So overall, with all of those kind of fat loss specific considerations, because there are performance things that we'll get onto, I think that overall adherence should probably be what you're aiming at. And a specific carbohydrate or fat target needn't be a primary focus. Um, certainly not over calories and protein. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think it's really important just to reiterate what you said there in terms of like, to answer this question, we need to look at two things. First of all, we need to look at the average response. And then the other thing we need to look at is the individual response. And like, you can look at these studies that compare like, oh, a fat loss diet with low carbs. And we'll, you know, talk about low carbs in a second and low fat in a second. Um, but I look at it like with low carbs or high carbs or low fat, high fat, whatever, right? They'll do, you know, metabolic ward studies, really expensive, but they want to answer the question, right? And when you put all the data together, you get all these individuals, let's say there's a hundred of them, right? You put it all together, you look at the difference, you'd be like, there is no real difference. You know, if it's isocaloric and they both expend the exact same amount of energy, you know, so calories are the same, you know, they're both in a deficit of 300 calories, whatever, right? In and around. Um, there's no difference, you know, on average, you'd just be like, okay, that's that's great you know so it's like it doesn't fucking matter as long as calories are equated eat your carbs or eat your fats it doesn't matter however when you do actually dig a little bit deeper into the actual you know the numbers of this you might see that some individuals do way better on a low fat diet or a high carb or a low carb diet or vice versa or whatever right so from an individual perspective 
it is unlikely that you are a complete outlier. However, it's not unlikely that you're just, you know, a little bit away from the mean, you know, and like say the average is like, you know, completely equal, no difference, but it's not outlandish to say that you might be just, you know, a little bit, you might respond a little bit better to more carbs in the diet or more fat in the diet or whatever, right? Like, it's not unrealistic. Like, it's not like every single person, once you're average, you're bang on this average line. It's like, no, there's going to be like in and around a certain amount, you know, it's that kind of bell curve, right? Um, and then when you layer on top of this, not just the actual, we'll call it the biochemical stuff, you layer on top of this, the actual like cultural or socio-cultural stuff where it's like, like I have a lot of like Arab mates, for example, and like Arab cuisine is generally like higher in fat, right? So it's like, if I say like, oh, oh you have to go onto a low fat diet, it's like all of a sudden a lot of their food choices are just like they're gone, <laughs> you know? So it's like, there's different things like that that we have to be aware of. And um, when we are looking at not just the actual individual in terms of like the, the biochemical stuff, but then also the rest of their life, right? Or even just preferences. You might be like, I actually just enjoy fattier foods. You know, I just enjoy higher carb foods or I just enjoy X, Y, Z. Now, obviously like you can't just use enjoyment as the sole deciding factor. Otherwise we'd all be eating pizza, et cetera. But you know, it does have to factor into our overall discussion. And again, it goes back to that initial stuff we were talking about, both with the enjoyability of the diet in the moment, but then also the actual sustainability of it longer term, right? So that is important to, to realize, to understand. But what I want to just, again, reiterate is the fact that on average, if we just look at the numbers, it really doesn't fucking matter. Just hit your calories and hit your protein and you're pretty good to go. However, we're not just going to wrap up the podcast here and say, yeah, that's all the that fucking matters. Just eat enough calories to sustain fat loss and get enough protein. See you later. You know, see you later. That's you're done. You know, like that's obviously not helpful because what we really want to know is how do we modify this stuff? How do we figure out if we are someone that responds better to lower carb or lower fat? What are the trade-offs? How do we actually go about, you know, understanding that stuff uh, so that we can make better decisions longer term right so what i want to do is i'm just dig into a few things and some of these are just kind of like launching off points we might have a bit of a discussion around it some of these are just like that's pretty pretty obvious you know it's like it's self-explanatory and then we'll kind of dig into some of the nuances around it so for the first thing i want to dig into is just low carb diets in general right now the first thing on this is that low carb for different populations means different things right? So that's a, a little bit of a confounding factor when we discuss this stuff, because I might be talking about low carb, you might be talking about low carb, but then when we actually put the numbers down on a piece of paper or actually prescribe a diet, you might be like, whoa, that's your low carb? Man, that's a high carb diet for me or vice versa, you know? So there are different, like people like categorize this in different ways. They're like, oh, less than 10% of the diet is low carb, less than 20%, less than 30%. Like it really depends on who you are talking to, what we're actually talking about like i've seen people talk about low carb diets and they're actually talking about like ketogenic diets you know which is where you're like making more ketones um and then i've also seen people talk about like low carb diets and they're coming from like an endurance background so for them anything less than like 70 percent of the diet is carbs is a low carb diet right so it's like if you're talking to these two people and they both think they're talking about the same thing when they're talking about low carbs obviously 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 there's going to be a fucking difference, 
right? Because 70% of the diet, or sorry, 65% of the diet versus 5% of the diet as carbohydrates are going to lead to different responses, right? So how are we going to define low carb diets? And it's all fucking relative. I don't know. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> you know, it's like this, again, it, there people do this stuff where they literally set out like they're in research and everything where they're like, oh, this is exactly what a low carb diet actually means like you could look it up right now. You could pause this podcast, look it up right now, Gary, you could look it up right now and be like, what defines low carb diets? And you can go into the research and you can find numbers. And then you can also find people that are discussing low carb diets without using like, without referencing those numbers at all. And it's just like, it's haphazard. Right. So for all intents and purposes, we'll just talk about a diet that is limiting in carbohydrates, you know, less carbohydrates than potentially we would otherwise have on the same calorie load or less carbohydrates than an individual will say quote unquote should be consuming for their activity level. Right. So lower carbs than you want or need. Right. That's, that's how I'm going to define it. Right. And again, some of these points are going to be relevant to that. Some of these points are going to be like, no, it's actually more relevant if we're talking about like a ketogenic diet, that's the first thing. Do you have anything to say on that, Lord Skinny Gaz? Yeah, no, I mean, like, I agree. It's it's one of those things where, like, some people will say it's not a low-carbohydrate diet unless you're under 25 grams of carbs or you're under, like, that's an absolute value or it's not under 5% of total calories. Whereas then when you actually look at the research, um, sometimes a low-carbohydrate diet might be quantified as less than 50% of total calories, you know, because, again, like, I understand the, the approach there because often what researchers are doing when they're looking at big picture questions is they're, they're talking about low carbs with reference to average population intakes. However, if you were, if we're talking about the fitness space itself, you know, many people might be consuming so much protein already. Like if you're eating uh, 40% of your calories in protein and 20% from fat, there's already only 40% left for um, carbohydrates. And while that might be considered a low carbohydrate diet in the context of some research studies, wouldn't really be what we talk about when we say, you know, oh, I'm low carb. So um, generally, you know, some websites will list, oh, less than 100 or 150 grams of carbohydrates per day. But then again, you run into the issue of, well, if someone's on 1200 calories or someone's on 4000 calories, that's totally different meaning, you know, and if you're super, super active, you could could be ketogenic on that level of carbohydrates even um, at least at some points in the day whereas for others they might be you know burning carbohydrates most of the time so um context uh, certainly matters there i had another point to make but i forgot it so i'll leave you go ahead fantastic right so that's the first of all the how what, what is a low carb diet Again, it's a diet that has lower carbs than you potentially want right or potentially need right and, and again you can get butter at whatever numbers we pick or whatever. That's up to you. It's an impossible question to answer. So I'm not going to even try answer it. Right. Um, however, th- that brings up the next question, right? Like why are we potentially limiting carbohydrates from the diet in the first place? Right. And Gary obviously touched on a few different things in relation to like, you know, lower fat a second ago, you know, be like, all right, but if there's lower fat in the diet, potentially we're doing that because, you know, you're going to store less fat as a result. Pretty straightforward, no fat. You know, it's a, a very intuitive. Like, I remember thinking that. I'm like, well, where do you get fat from? You're like, oh, even if you look at like some basic biochemistry, you're like, oh, it comes from the fat that you eat. You know, it's like, oh, it's these stored fatty acids. Where do you get these fatty acids? Oh, you get them from 
your diet. I'm like, okay, well, if I don't want to store fatty acids, no brainer, eat low fat, right? But obviously that's not how things work. You're going to basically create those fats if you need those fats. If you need to store fat, your body's going to store it, right? Um, Or it's going to create it, I should say, right? So like, why would we potentially want to eat a low carb diet, right? Like what's, what's the, what's the benefit, right? Is it purely just to get calories down? Because if it's just to get calories down, then why don't we take them from fats? Why don't we take them from carbs? You know, both some mixed mash, whatever, right? Like, why are we specifically trying to get lower carbs, right? And one of the reasons for that, or one of the reasons that's you know postulated is so that we can drive insulin down. Right. So we can reduce our insulin burden, if you will, or our insulin output. And again, for some some populations, this is a fantastic intervention. You know, if we weren't just talking about fat loss here, like this for some, you know, diabetic populations, again, in in discussion with your doctor slash your dietitian, whatever, um, can be fantastic. Right. You know, that, that could be a great intervention for you for getting insulin where you want it, getting blood sugars where you want it, et cetera. Right. But like, why would someone who's just interested in fat loss be interested in insulin? Right. And the reality of it is they really, they really shouldn't be, you know, like I understand there was this thought process. And again, it's a intuitive enough thought process. Like insulin is a quote unquote storage hormone. It does far more than that. It's a signaling hormone that signals energy availability. It's a, it does a lot of stuff, right? Um, like I can understand why if you think of insulin as purely a storage hormone, you might be like, right, well, we're actually going to reduce our insulin burden overall. So we store less, right? But first of all, you have to understand, especially in the context of the fitness industry, that protein itself is insulinogenic, right? Certain amino acids are even more insulinogenic than like actual table sugar, right? So if you eat certain amino acids, um, they actually produce more insulin from that, like your body produces more insulin from that than if you were to eat an equal amount of grams of sugar um, for that amino acid, right? And so if we're actually realistically, truthfully trying to reduce our insulin burden, you would reduce carbohydrates, and you would reduce uh, protein, right? That would make sense. Now, some people do argue for that. Some people do advocate for that, especially people that are more in the, we'll call it the longevity realm. They're like, oh, we need to have insulin at basically zero. They advocate in like an extreme ketogenic diet where it's like, let's get insulin to, again, basically zero so that we're not getting any, any insulin response. So they eat fuck all carbs and they eat fuck all protein, right? But for most people, that's going to lead to a whole host of issues. And this is, you know, downstream, this is why you see all these people that eat like, like that, they all have test, like terrible testosterone numbers, right? First of all, because like, why would you want to reproduce if you're basically telling your body that, you know, this is not an optimal time to reproduce. Like, even if you're in a, uh, uh, a calorie surplus, it's still not like insulin again is a signaling molecule. It does a lot of stuff other than just store stuff, right? Um so like why it's it's just not an optimal diet for the vast majority of people's goals that you know we would discuss anyway. For longevity, potentially we can make an argument. It's like you know, lower the amount of mTOR stimulation that you get, lower the amount of insulin that you have to deal with. I'm like, okay, we could maybe make an argument here, but then the trade-off is that your quality of life, like your quantity of life might go up, you know, it's like the number of years that you live, but your quality of life is fucking shit because you're frail. You know, you can't, you can never eat with other humans. Cause you're like, well, basically all I can eat is fat. You know, it's like, can't eat protein, can't eat carbohydrates. All I can eat is fat. You know, it's like, that's that like go to a meal with your friends, family, 
whatever. What are you going to eat? You know, you order like, oh, give me a stick of butter. You know, maybe you could be like, oh, can I order, you know, some bone marrow? Like that would probably be the closest thing that you could order from a restaurant. Like that's about it, you know, and bone marrow is fucking delicious. Don't get me wrong. But if, you know, that's all you can eat, it's not exactly the most enjoyable life, right? Um, so that is something to consider that what is insulin actually doing? Is it actually causing fat gain? No. So is it inhibiting fat loss? Like technically you could make that argument in the moment, but if we look at it over the course of a day, over the course of a week, over the course of you know a lifetime, it's not actually inhibiting fat loss. Like it might inhibit it directly in, in the moment. Like if you look at the biochemistry, but in the long term, over the course of a 24 hour cycle, a week, whatever, it's not actually leading to less fat loss. So why are you trying to minimize insulin exposure, right? And that's just from the fat loss perspective, from a performance perspective, and also from a muscle gain perspective, like insulin is fantastic. Like fucking exactly what we want. Like, as I said earlier on, like insulin does play a role in increasing testosterone or getting supporting higher testosterone levels, which, you know, as a male, like that's what I want. I want to have good, healthy, robust testosterone levels. I want to have at least, you know, whatever 25 nanomoles per liter that's, that's my my always target i'm like get over that you know i know gary you have hyper testosterone you know whatever you had like 34 or some shit like that it's absolutely reckless but it's really reflected in the side of size of my massive arms you know this is also another uh, <laughs> adjunct conversation where it's like people always think it's like oh if your testosterone is fucking through the roof you're just going to be jacked out of your mind when in reality gary actually has one of the highest testosterone levels that i've ever seen uh, a natural male have, and he's also one of the skinniest individuals I've ever seen. Still skinny, androgen <laughs> insensitivity. <laughs> you know, I'm like I've always had like over at least 600 nanograms per deciliter, so whatever that is, that's like 20 point no 21 uh, nanomoles per liter, right? In terms of testosterone, I'm like that would be considered the like higher end or above, you know, of the reference range, right? Um, I'm fucking still skinny. <laughs> you know um but anyway look that's a that's an adjunct conversation for another day um we just need to both get on trend and then just pretend you know like everyone else right but anyway all right let's get back to this um insulin does actually help with you know performance it also helps with muscle gain it also helps with muscle retention so it's something that we do actually want from the context of you know the population that we're talking to most people listening to this are either interested in health and longevity or they're interested in that and muscle gain and performance you know so it's like if you want to actually perform at your best you're probably going to need some carbohydrates right and that's just from an insulin perspective right do you have anything else to say on insulin there gary before we touch on some of the other benefits nah, that's good for me it's good for me go ahead you know and then also we have to consider that like carbohydrates in the diet do actually support performance right because most people listening to this again the sports that they engage in the activities that they engage in are somewhat glycolytic and now i know a lot of people doing listening to this are interested in like resistance training which although it does use glycogen like it's not exactly like you need boatloads of carbohydrates so you know like i always think this like people like drinking like 150 grams of like highly branched chain cyclic dextrins or dextrose or maltodextrin or sugars basically during their training be like oh I'm, I'm doing this because it supports my training i'm like man like realistically first of all you can only absorb a certain amount of nutrients in an hour so from a mixed carb source that's like 70 grams so you're already double that right but then second of all it's like do you think that your 20 sets 
are really depleting your glycogen so much that you need to have nearly fucking 200 grams of simple sugars to get through this you know if that's the case fucking more more power to you you know those those sets are probably very very intense and long um but for most people it's just it's it's kind of irrelevant now that's not to say that having carbs intra-workout is not a bad idea i personally do it myself i find i notice a performance increase but i'm just saying if there's a huge carb load it doesn't make sense right um so that is something to be aware of that carbohydrates are going to improve performance or at least support performance so if you're on a low carb diet you probably are going to notice a hit in performance in the gym in your sport whatever and usually people would describe this as like not having that next gear you know so it's like you can go into first gear everyone can go into first gear it's fairly fucking handy second gear grand you know third gear grand we're still good even on a low carb diet right but then when you try to shift into fourth gear you're just like like it's just not there, you know, whereas the person on car- on eating carbohydrates are like, all right, boom, let's get into fourth gear, fifth gear, sixth gear. We're all good. Right. And um, so that is something to be aware of. And that might be relevant to you. It might not be relevant to you. Right. Like obviously the two of us, myself and Gary here, like we do jujitsu. So for us, I'm like, if I was to just go low carb, I'm like, I'm probably going to notice 30 seconds into a five minute roll that, you know, I'm like, I'm done you know I'm like let's just hold on for dear life here because I don't actually have any like explosive movement left in me you know I don't I have to wait for my aerobic metabolism to kind of restock the other stuff you know um so that is something to be aware of so if you have multiple goals and it's not just fat loss that you're looking for low carb maybe doesn't make the most sense from a hormonal perspective and it maybe doesn't make the most sense from a performance perspective right so Again, that is something to be aware of. Do you have anything to say on that, Gary? No, that's good. Fantastic. That's probably the most used term that you use, you say on this podcast. Like, no, oh, that's good. And just the most all my term, knowledge at the beginning and then, no, I'm good. And then you just, yeah, so. fuck off. Yeah. Like my most used term is probably like, oh, do you have anything to say on that, Gary? And then you're just like, nope. <laughs> anyway, right. So with, you might be thinking then like, oh, like why... Like, okay, if insulin isn't doing anything relevant to this conversation, well, obviously it is doing stuff relevant to the conversation. It's just not impacting on the results that we can get. And we're like, carbs are actually pretty good for performance. Like why, like why are people going on low carb diets and being like, this is fantastic, right? And realistically, the first thing, this is, I'd say this is probably 90% of the reason that this, like low carb diets are a thing. And that is, it's fucking fantastic marketing, right? First of all, really simple intervention. Carbs are causing your fat, right? So if you just cut out carbs, that's what is going to lead to fat loss, right? Carbs are the devil. That was the issue, right? Real simple, straightforward message, cut out carbs, you know? Again, like any of these like single intervention, like single sentence interventions, like obviously they're going to pick up steam. You know, it's like very straightforward, drop carbs out of your diet, drop fat, body fat. Boom. Easy. Right. Boom. So from a marketing perspective, it makes a lot of sense, but also this is again, fantastic from a marketing perspective. If you initiate a lower carb diet, right. All of a sudden you get this like really fast weight loss. You know, you drop a lot of water weight, right. Cause every gram of carbs that you eat, right. And store, I should say, um, you're taking in about three grams of water with that. Right. So if you deplete yourself of carbohydrates, so let's say you are normally used to eating 
whatever, 400 grams of carbohydrates per day, you go, oh, I'm going to go on a low carb diet. So you reduce calories by 500 because you want to be in a deficit as well, right? Or let's say actually, first of all, we'll use A and B people. So A doesn't even reduce calories at all, just stays the exact same calories and just pulls out all of the carbohydrates. They're less than 50 grams, right? They're probably going to notice in that first week, you know, after a few days of that, once they've depleted more and more of that glycogen, that stored glycogen, right? They're probably going to notice, you know, one, two, three, maybe up to five kilos of weight loss that first week, you know, depending on how heavy they are, right? And it's just pure water weight, right? As they deplete more and more of that glycogen. And they didn't change their calories at all, right? And then you have, you know, person B where it's like, okay, I actually changed my calories. I dropped calories by about 500. And I'm going to swap out all of those carbohydrates, you know, less than 50 grams or whatever. We're going to swap all the other ones out for fat, right? And all of a sudden they're like, right, I'm actually in a deficit. And I get that huge bump down or huge drop, I should say, in uh, water weight in the first week. So it's like, this is so fantastic. This is clearly the secret, the, the missing secret the whole time that I've been, I should have just been on a low carb diet. You know, for me, I literally lost like six kilos in a week here now. So this is fantastic. You know, this is the holy grail. If I can just continue this for the next eight weeks, man. I'm going to be shredded. This is the secret. How come more people don't know this, right? And then obviously the next week you get a much lower return on investment. You know, you're just like, oh, I only got like half a kilo drop this week. And the next week again, it's like half a kilo drop or whatever the calorie deficit makes sense, right? But you're already sold in. You're already bought into the, the, the program hook, line and sinker because that first week we gave you this joyous experience where you dropped like five kilos of just water weight. You know, and you're just like, I'm always searching for that. I'm always just grasping for that. And that's also why you generally see people that go on low carb diets or, you know, not necessarily people who do this in a more educated way. People that do it, they're like, they'll continually change their calories week on week because they're constantly trying to recreate that first week experience where they're like, Oh, I dropped five kilos, you know? So it's like they are in a 500 calorie deficit and, you know, whatever they're getting like half a kilo to a kilo of weight loss per week. And they're like, this is just not good enough because that first week I lost five kilos, you know? So they're always trying to chase that five kilo loss. And again, that's not ideal from a, uh, long-term perspective because then all of a sudden you're four weeks into your diet and you're like i'm actually in a 2000 calorie deficit <laughs> you know and like that's less than ideal i'm clearly not sustainable and they're like why am i so fucking hungry all the time you know um so that is something to be aware of it is just fantastic absolutely fantastic from a marketing perspective right and now don't get me wrong. There are definitely uses for a low carb diet utilizing this water weight drop. Like for example, again, weight class athletes like myself and Gary, we both do BJJ. So it's again, if we were trying to make weight for a competition and we are like, oh, I'm two kilos over it. And I don't necessarily want to, you know, change my calories because I still want the calories to support performance, etc. I'm like, I could make an intervention or I could design an intervention where I drop off some of the carbohydrates in the hope that that would then lead to some water weight, you know, loss down the road, right. In time for a competition. Right. And um, so they are useful. Don't get me wrong. It's just for most people that care about fat loss, it's just clever marketing. Now, again, Gary, do you have anything to say on that? Um, I'm not so sure. I think I agree. You know, I think the only other thing I would say is that, um, 
it can work the other way around as well, where, you know, some people will come out of a low carbohydrate diet and then suddenly they add in carbs and they think, oh my God, I'm adding so much muscle um, because suddenly they're filling up their glycogen stores. They've got this ruthless pump and lots of blood flow to the area. They're seeing all these veins popping because they're just after adding in all these carbohydrates. Um, and then they also get carried away because they continue eating more and eventually they just get, you know, fatter and suddenly all that definition is gone once again. Um, so yeah, just understanding, I think the difference between what's chronically happening with your body composition and acute changes, whether that be water weight loss, water weight gain, um, or it be changing your pump or vascularity, all those things are acute changes and shouldn't um, be put in place of the longer term adaptations that you're looking for, whether that be fat loss, muscle gain, fat gain even, or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, yeah. and there's another one of that as well, where people will go from a low-carb diet and they'll be really stressed out and like their body is like under a fuckload of stress and they're actually holding water in that case because of like, you know, elevated glucocorticoids and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff, right? Aldosterone is through the roof, et cetera, right? And then all of a sudden you add in some carbohydrates. So insulin goes up, cortisol goes down and all of a sudden they're like, wow, I actually dropped weight this week. And it's again, it's water weight, right? It's just water weight manipulation. So again, like th this is why it's so hard. I understand for the lay person to cut through all of this stuff because there are all of these like tricks these little sneaky interventions that we can momentarily change or acutely change how much you weigh on a scale right but it's not actually impacting on fat loss right usually if it's very acute you know it's it's just water weight changes you know or maybe even like stool bulk changes you know um which is another thing that low carb tends to do as well because all of a sudden people cut out all of the fucking fiber in their diet. Um, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, I actually dropped the kilo. And it's like, no, actually you just have no stool or any like food stuff in your actual digestive cavity anymore, you know? Um, but anyway, look, we'll move on. Um, that is just something to be aware of. The next thing then is, and this is just a more of a, a technical thing, a more of a biochemical thing. Um, and this is definitely more niche. This is, there's a classic saying that goes like fat burns in the flame of carbohydrates, right? And that is because, and the reason they say that is because beta oxidation and we'll say that interaction with beta oxidation and the TCA cycle, so the, the Krebs cycle, uh, only work when you have enough carbohydrates, or at least when you have enough of the intermediates that are supplied by carbohydrates, or rather could be supplied by car car carbohydrates. And one such one is, the breakdown of pyruvate. So when we have glycolysis, you generate pyruvate, right? And then that pyruvate is then able to be used. So again, like in the body, you can basically change things around, change a few little molecules around. Change, I shouldn't say the molecules, the con atomic configuration. Like this is what enzymes do. They basically, you know, chop and change, snippy, snippy here, add here. And all of a sudden you've got something else, right? So in the body, you can change pyruvate, which is you know, an end product, if you will, from glycolysis. You can change that into oxaloacetate, right? And oxaloacetate feeds into this TCA cycle, or you might have heard of it as the Krebs cycle. And if you do not supply enough right, of any of the intermediates, any of the different things that are needed to make this cycle work, it will basically slow down. It won't work, right? And um, because it's like, oh, well, this is the limiting factor, right? Now, if you're not eating enough carbohydrates, you're not actually able to get enough oxaloacetate. And as a result, you're not actually able to pump 
you know, fats, if you will, um, or rather the breakdown product of fats, acetyl-CoA, et cetera, through the TCA cycle. And as a result, you can actually create a situation where you are in a deficit, but you're actually not able to access the energy that your body is liberating, right? Now, how frequently does that occur? Unfrequently, you know, it's a very hard situation to create because it's not like this is the only way we can get this cycle to work. However, you could set up a situation where you have low protein and you have low carbohydrates, you have very high uh, fat intake, and you know, potentially we could overload the TCA cycle and we could get it to not work, right? But again, is this relevant for most people? No. Is it something that we do need to be aware of that to actually effectively burn fats, we do actually need carbohydrates, right? That is something to be aware of in my mind. I'm like, okay, the body actually prefers having like kind of mixed sources. It kind of prefers having a lot of redundancy in the system. It kind of prefers having a system where it's like, we're not overly reliant on only one thing. We're not overly reliant on like, if in that case, it's like one intermediate here. If we don't supply enough of that one intermediate, we're kind of fucked, right? So your body's going to, you know, think of ways, and this is evolution in action. It's going to think of ways of, making that intermediate product or it's going to have backup systems already in place right and so that is something to be aware of because you know you will see this sometimes where people go on low carb diets and all of a sudden they're like oh my blood lipids are through the fucking roof i'm starting to get like fatty liver disease you know and i don't know their fucking cholesterol is in a terrible place whatever right and these might be just hyper responders to stuff like this you know they might be just in in a case where it's like you're not actually able to clear the fats you know like i say clear the fats you're not actually able to effectively run this tca cycle but you might also see it from people where they're like oh i go on a low carb diet and i just have absolutely no fucking energy you know for those people you might be like right you're not actually running your metabolism effectively now 100% in certain cases, there's going to be a, uh, a lead in period an adaptation period. But in my mind, I'm always like, whenever we start talking about stuff like that, you know, if it goes beyond two to four weeks, we'll say, I'm like, you're probably not going to adapt to this in any, you know, magnificent way after two to four weeks. And this is something that you classically see when people discuss uh, low carb diets or ketogenic diets. It's like, how long does it take you to adapt to a ketogenic diet or a low carb diet one week longer than whatever that study was, you know, like that's, that's the common refrain because it's like, whatever happens, this study could have been two months, three months, six months, a year, whatever. And it's like, oh no, it wasn't long enough. If you waited longer, you would have been more adapted. You would have seen the results that we're selling basically, you know? So that is something to be aware of. And um, now, as I said, this is basically, I hate getting into like the, the biochemistry weeds because you can make it look like whatever the fuck you want to look like, because like, I just said a lot of words there, like oxaloacetate, like I'd say half the people listening to this are like, mm, I remember hearing that not really quite sure what it is. And then the other half are like, is he just making up words? You know? Um, so I do understand that. And I'm not expecting you to just be like, oh yeah, fuck, actually, I remember exactly what the TCA cycle looks like. I can see oxaloacetate top left there. Yes, acetyl-CoA, it's grand, you know? Um, Not expecting that, but it is something to be aware of. Do you have any thoughts on that, Gary? And if you say no, you're an idiot. Uh, No, I'd just like to say that I do expect all of our listenership to be familiar with the TCA cycle and its respective steps. (laughs) 
Go on, name them all then. <laughs> Will I actually? <laughs> can if you want. If you can do it from memory, I'd be pretty fucking impressed. Oh, God, it's been a while. Fucking okay. So prove it plus oxaloacetate to uh, acetyl-CoA to uh, isocitrate to citrate to fumarate to... At the top left. Well, oh, I'm after skipping succinate or succinate for fumarate to succinate, and then I think I'm missing one or two, but then back up to oxaloacetate eventually again. But that wasn't too bad. And that wasn't too bad, in fairness. Like we started oxaloacetate, we go oxaloacetate, we'll just assume acetyl CoA goes in there, citrate, isocitrate, uh, alpha ketoglutarate. Yes. yes. Uh, Susanol CoA, uh, succinate, uh, or succinate, as some people say, uh, fumarate, malate. And then oxaloacetate again. Not too bad. We almost got there. Uh, That's far more impressive than me. I fucking never remember any of these things. I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, oh, this is what it is. And then I'll, when I'm talking about some random other pathway, I'll be like, oh, yeah, of course. Alpha ketoglutarate is over here. You know, boom. You know, this is also interesting when you look at like, you know, supplement formulations. You might just think like, oh, this is just irrelevant to have in here where you're like oh it actually does feed into these random pathways that you weren't even thinking about or it's providing a backbone for this other thing that you weren't even thinking about now i like to think that that's those supplement manufacturers being really really smart with their formulations but oftentimes it is just pure accidents that cause this stuff like for example like uh, people use like citrulline malate first of all there's no way for citrulline and malate in the way supplements are manufactured to actually create citrulline malate what you're actually getting is citrulline and malic acid right like they're just mixed together in a vat they're not actually like chemically bonded if you will right and but because someone did a study on citrulline malate you know people will be like oh yeah, citrulline malate has a better performance than like L-citrulline on its own. And it's like, please elaborate on how malic acid is is leading to this. You know, and there are arguments for like, you know, buffering capacity and different things. But in my mind, I'm like, just doesn't fucking, if I can speak, it doesn't make sense. Um, so yeah, do you have anything else to say on that, Gary, after you, you impressed me with your, uh, your, your knowledge? You shouldn't have told the audience that you were reading it out. You should to just pretended that you, that was like you just going boom 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 and then I, I didn't read it out i just knew what it was <laughs> yeah th- now we're just going to move on to the uh next step of the electron transport chain and go through <laughs> um but anyway right we won't bore you with that um, about the, the urea cycle now gary now surely like you know, the krebs bicycle if you will urea cycle oh geez arginine arginine sucks and age blah 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 yeah I, I i know it all right but um let's not go there for now anyway moving swiftly on so the next thing then with low carb carbohydrate diets is that and we touched on this earlier on fiber and vegetable intake in general is usually quite low right like it's it's one of those weird ones where some people can switch to a low carb diet and all of a sudden start eating more fiber because before they were eating you know bread that was their their carbohydrate intake you know and people go on a low carb diet and they're like the only way i'm going to feel full eating this way is if i choose the highest fiber foods um to try and actually you know help with things help with the hunger right so that it can go both ways and but generally speaking if you are limiting carbohydrates you're limiting fiber and fiber is fucking class that's why both myself and gary has a sub 2.1 uh, mole uh, per liter uh, ldl just saying fiber is fantastic uh, i personally have better blood lipids than gary but we won't 
I won't hold that against him, even though he's younger than me. You're nearly five years younger than me. But anyway, to be fair, it went like this so far. I was. Yeah. So we both got our first set. I was higher. That, oh, no, you. Yeah, you were 3.1 and I was. 3. Now, mine was 3.5. Was it? Mine was 3.2 or 3.3 or something like that. And then you got your most. I got my most recent one like two weeks ago. So that was 2.1. Patty's is 2.0. So now I'll do another check maybe in a month or so. But honestly, I'm enjoying my dark chocolate and the odd pizza and stuff. So I can't see if we can go over. I love food in general. And she had barbecue the day before. Yeah, so did I actually, which is why I was so surprised. <laughs> but anyway. Irrelevant for this conversation. One day we'll talk about absolute shite about what we're doing with our nutrition and stuff. But anyway, um, the other thing on top of that, you have nothing to say about vegetables. I think, again, that's pretty fucking straightforward. Eat less carbs you're probably going to eat less vegetables and fiber in general, right? Um, The other thing is, and this is relevant kind of to what we were just talking about in terms of cholesterol, um, is that most people, when they're on a low-carb diet, for some reason, turn that low-carb diet into meaning a high-saturated fat diet, right? And I don't know why. You know, it's not like someone goes, I'm going to go low-carb and I'm going to, like, you know, guzzle olive oil and I'm going to fucking eat a load of fish you know uh, salmon or whatever it's like no people go i'm gonna go on a low carb diet and all of a sudden they're like right cheese butter uh, bacon um whatever fucking other sort of shortening i don't know you know <laughs> um they're like oh what are the high fat foods that i know and you know like they're like all right let's eat more of those and most of these are just high saturated fat foods right and this is why, again, you start seeing these people, as we just discussed earlier on, like you can have a situation now, it's more theoretical, where you would have more blood lipids because you're not actually able to run your metabolism effectively. And now all of a sudden you decide, you know what, I'm actually going to fuck things up more by having about 70% of my diet come from saturated fat, right? So it's like, this is why you see people with absolutely terrible LDL numbers, absolutely terrible blood work going on a low-carb diet. Does that mean that a low-carb diet is inherently going to fuck your lipids? No, but it is something to be aware of, especially if you go on a low-carb diet and that leads you to eat more saturated fat as a result. Now, 100%, there's definitely situations where someone goes on a low-carb diet, eats a load of saturated fat, and their lipids still improve because they were in such a terrible, terrible place beforehand right but if your idea of a low carb diet is just a high saturated fat diet it's probably not a beneficial strategy for long-term health it might be fine for fat loss you know you might get the fat loss results that you're looking for especially if calories are controlled however and i say this all the time like saturated fat is easier to more densely pack in terms of in terms of your fat stores so you have a situation and saturated fat is also harder to lose in terms of fat loss and you can look at the studies on that and so why would you make it make a situation like if people are worried about insulin you know it's like why would you make a situation where pure just stereochemistry right so just the shape of these molecules you make it so that you can actually stack these things far, far more effectively in your fat cells. And as a result, make it harder for them to be liberated, right? Because you, again, you think of a saturated fat, it's basically, it doesn't have any of these like kinks or little, you know, unsaturated things. It's completely saturated with hydrogen. And as a result, really, really easy to tightly pack together. That's why 
butter, for example, is hard at room temperature and why oil is not, right? That's also why you have like marine animals, you know, especially like that are actually in the ocean and stuff and why they have more polyunsaturated fat because they're in, especially cold water fish and stuff, you know, because they're in the cold. So if they were to actually have saturated fat, like they, they wouldn't actually be able to store the fat because it would be completely solid rather than more fluid, like a polyunsaturated fat, you know, like it's just basic stereochemistry, right? So if your idea of a low carb diet is just a high saturated fat diet and you're looking for fat loss, like you're probably shooting yourself in the foot short-term and long-term. Um, and obviously it's, you know, not ideal from a health perspective if we're talking about cardiovascular health, you know? Um, do you have anything to say on that, Gary? Because I know you love the cardiovascular system and um, you would obviously have like, you know, hours upon hours of stuff to talk about, but I know you're very cognizant of the listeners. So you'll probably just say, no, I have nothing else to say on that. <laughs> well, if you're interested in obviously understanding more about the cardiovascular side of things, you can just go back and listen to our full full series. We like we're running a fat loss series in the moment at the moment. We did a cardiovascular health slash fitness series last year and we covered a lot of those things related to blood lipids but um you know it's it's certainly possible to have a very healthy low carbohydrate diet that is very well structured you know um, it just happens to be the case that most people who adopt or a lot of people who promote low carbohydrate diets they often do so in a way that is you know very high saturated fat very often you know, saying that, oh, it doesn't matter if your cholesterol is high, your LDL is high, it doesn't actually matter, it's fine, kind of justifying their own dietary preferences um, with shady interpretations of the evidence. But I would say that, you know, if you're, if you've come across that information, you're thinking, okay, so does that mean low carbohydrate diets are inherently bad? Like, no, that's not the case at all, because you could have a fantastic low carbohydrate diet where, yeah, you have the odd bit of steak, maybe the odd bit of bacon, but you're having, you know, lots of nuts, you've got olive oil, and you're having, you know, uh, cold water fish, oily fish, etc. Um, that are, you know, contributing a lot of a lot of the fat in your diet. And that can absolutely be very helpful, and certainly a lot better than the average um, diet in the population. 100%. Thanks for that input, Gary. Very welcome. Um, the final thing I want to say on low carb diets before we briefly touch on low fat diets, because there's actually just less to cover with low fat diets, um, is that low carbohydrate diets seem to be better for hunger control than low fat, right? And that is borne out in the research. And also you'll see it anecdotally. However, we're talking about, you know, very small magnitudes, like in terms of like, are you going to be 1% less hungry than another diet? Now, that might be the make or break of it if you're a bodybuilder, but for most people, it's kind of inconsequential, right? Um, obviously, I'm presuming we're matching for calories and we're matching for protein as well, right? Obviously, you know, there's differences in the, the diet overall, right? Um, and on top of this, that's just, as we said at the start, an average response. You as an individual might be like, low-carb diets, they just make me fucking hungry right? Or low fat diets, they just make me hungry, right? It's, you have to, again, play in those margins and you have to kind of be like, right, what are, what's my individual response and what am I actually trying to do? You know, like I know for me, like I could literally eat five grams of fat per day and wouldn't affect me apart from like obviously impacting severely on my food choices. And in terms of like a hunger perspective, I'd be like, right, grand, like literally I'd eat fucking sushi all day. You know, I just choose the fucking leanest fucking fish that i could possibly get cod or something you know um 
and just rice. And I'd be like, grand, you know, it's fine. I don't care, you know? But for a lot of other people, they'd be like, I'm actually starving on this. You know, they'd have that basically, what's it called? Uh, starving rabbit disease. Can't remember. But I know, you know, if people just only eat fucking rabbit meat, they still starve to death because they actually just don't get the nutrients that they need. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, that's to help you decide on whether a low carb diet is right for you. Now a low fat diet, there's a few really, because we've obviously, obviously explained some of the stuff around a low carb diet. So this is, you know, we can just run through this checklist kind of quickly, right? So a low fat diet, first major con against a low fat diet is that it reduces your food choices quite dramatically, right? Because at least with like, you know, a low carb diet, you still can, you know, have a lot of variety in your meat sources, right? Whereas if you have a low fat diet, you're kind of like, right, I have to only, only eat lean, lean meats, right? And even if you're like, oh, I want to add some like dairy to my, my food, right? All of a sudden you're like, oh, like I kind of can't, unless obviously, you know, we live in the modern world and all of a sudden you're like, oh, we have these lighter than light or super low fat varieties. Now, a lot of them taste like fucking milky water or something, but look, that's the, that's the price you pay for not getting the fat, you know? Um, so that is one of the things, a major con with low fat diets. It's just food choices are fucking shit because fat comes along with protein oftentimes and even not protein other things you know like avocados higher in fat you know it's like different things it's like you just you lose a lot from the diet if you're trying to really really limit fat intake now some people unfortunately they do have to go on like really low fat diets for whatever reason um but it is something that just makes the diet unenjoyable and likely unsustainable right like it's very hard to stick to for most people anyway a low-fat diet do you mind to say on that gary would you think it easier to stick to a low-carb or a low-fat diet yeah i mean it depends like because i know like some people do go on more kind of heavily plant-based diets and particularly on the whole food plant-based diet side of the spectrum where fat is typically kept very low you know some people do get quite creative with their food choices and you know they'll come up with different ways of flavoring their meals and keeping them palatable and stuff but like personally i think just at least within irish culture and standard meals that we tend to eat i think having a decent amount of fat in the diet even a moderate amount just makes dietary adherence a lot easier it'll be very difficult for me to go home or even go out for dinner with my family or something and eat really low fat it just doesn't really lend itself well socially or culturally in ireland at least but gary you can just have like you know boiled rice it's fine no thank you bit of salt bit of pepper you're fucking your brand. i want steak and potatoes and butter please <laughs> um but yeah like in my opinion it does definitely just dramatically make adherence a lot harder and it makes your food choices you know quite bland and you say that about like you know the whole food you know plant-based or even vegan or whatever uh, style diets but most of them are eating like 2000 calories and i'm like yeah look that's fine but if you have to if i had 2000 calories like i would be you know dropping a lot of weight very quickly you know and yep. um, so it doesn't really support activity once you are a larger human or you are like gary and you're just a hyper androgen secretor which makes you move around a lot you know um like an animal yes um but anyway and also 
reduces fat soluble vitamin intake oftentimes and people are already fucking mm-hmm. awful at getting enough fat soluble vitamins in their diet as is in like a typical western diet or even people that are you know looking after their diet it can be quite hard unless you are you know maybe eating some eggs maybe eating some liver you know getting your vitamin d a d k and e or whatever like it can be quite hard to get those things in the diet in general and especially if you aren't eating enough meat so again plant-based diets pretty bad for this usually um but it is something to be aware of um especially if you are on a low fat diet you just you're going to have to pay more attention to where you get these fat soluble vitamins and then you're probably going to have to time their intake when you do have fat, right? Because again, they're fat soluble, you need fat. Well, some of them you need fat to actually like absorb them. Some of them need fat in the body to you know be utilized, et cetera, right? Um, so that is, again, something to be aware of. Another thing to be aware of is that people already struggle to get enough polyunsaturated fat, especially like, I should say, I shouldn't say polyunsaturated fat, enough of the essential fatty acids in their diet, um, in particular the omega-3s. So if you are eating a low-fat diet, like the chance of you getting your omega-3s in goes down. And again, if it's already something that people struggle with on a mixed omnivorous diet, that means that you're going to have to pay even more attention to it. And it also means that your food choices are either going to be impacted by virtue of having to choose, you know, fish or whatever for your food choices, which, you know, I'm all on board with. I know that would be terrible for you, Gary, because you have the palate of a four-year-old. Um, but for me, I'd be like, yeah, grand, literally fucking eat whatever fish you throw my way. Right. Um, but for you, if I'm like, all right, well, your food choices have to be fish because otherwise you're not going to get your omega threes. Right. Um, all of a sudden that's you know pretty hard for you now to get your diet, stick to your diet. The only other way you could do that is if you potentially had like, you know, uh, fish oil or krill oil or something like that. But then also that impacts on your food choices down the road because you have to then use those fat macros for these pills, you know, rather than being able to be like, oh, actually, I want to have some like red meat or something. Uh, And then all of a sudden we have all these other knock on effects where it's like your iron intake, for example, goes down because you're not actually able to eat red meat and all you ever eat is chicken, right? Which again, for a guy, not a huge issue unless like, again, you like combat sports with us where with us, like us, I should say, where, you know, you might bleed occasionally, even that, you know, it's not a sufficient bloodletting, but like, unless you give blood, like, like I do, I don't know if Gary does it because he probably doesn't because he's scum, doesn't like his fellow humans. But anyway, um, you know, if, unless you're doing that, like you're probably not losing a huge amount of iron. So it's not a huge issue, but if you're a woman and you're regularly menstruating, like iron intake is a pretty big issue. Iron is actually one of the biggest, uh, nutrient deficiencies in the entire world, you know, in terms of magnitude of people that are affected by it. Right. So again, something to be really, like really on top of, you know, and if you're choosing a diet that makes it harder to get this stuff in, you know, we potentially don't want to do that diet, right? The next thing then is it can, like low fat diets can impact on hormonal health. And this is something that people really like in the bodybuilding world, you know, make a big deal of. It's less of a big deal, especially if you look after like your omega-3 intake. Um, And also like, unless you're like people always say like, oh, well, where would you get cholesterol then? And like, well, my body actually makes cholesterol. So it's actually fucking not an issue. You know, you also don't need that much cholesterol for stereogenesis. As we discussed, Gary has raging, absolutely prolific testosterone levels and, you know, has a 2.1, uh, 2.1 LDL level, you know? So it's like, you know, it's not exactly like you need 
an excessive amount, right? But anyway, the final thing then is, and this is just purely a context thing, a lot of people use low-fat diets to basically just abuse high-carb slash high-sugar diets or foods, you know, where you're like, oh, I'm, a, I'm on a low-fat dieter, and it's like, you eat fucking sugar, basically. That's your diet. It's like you eat white bread, and you're like, oh, I think I'm going to get some results from this because it's low fat like if it's calories if the calories are not in a good place it's all fucking irrelevant and if you're using your low fat diet to basically consume copious amounts of sugar you're probably going to have worse health and you're probably not going to lose weight (laughs) you know so that is something to be aware of anyway i don't have anything else to say we do actually have to wrap this up rather quickly because we're on a time schedule but gary where can people find us where can they engage with our services etc as always if you're interested in our coaching service you'd like to get your nutrition in order your training in order etc you can sign up to work with us work with one of our coaching team myself patty brian or nicola and uh, yeah, it would, it would be a great idea to do that if you want to get on track with your goals. I know a lot of people are getting over the novelty of being able to go out and eat outdoors or drink outdoors at the moment. And you might be thinking, you know what, it's time to pull the reins in and get a training and nutrition in order. So let us help you if you'd like information below. You can also follow us on social media for you know free info. Follow Triage Method and then you'll find the rest of us there. Myself, Skinny Gaz. Paddy, the real Paddy Farrell, Brian at Brian O'Hengisa and Nicola at Nicola Flanagan as well. So you can find all of us on our respective social media accounts and ask us any questions that you'd like to ask us. We do have the Coach's Corner as well, which is our education platform for personal trainers. So if you'd like to support your education, you you can subscribe at the link below. And you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter. It was previously a weekly newsletter, but now it's going to be a more comprehensive monthly newsletter. The next one will be out in about a week's time from the release of this podcast. So make sure that you are subscribed if you'd like to to join that and keep up with everything we're doing. Fantastic. I have nothing else to say, except I hope everyone enjoys themselves. And I hope when you're listening to this, you enjoyed this and that you share it with your friends, family, on your Instagram story, on your TikTok. I don't know, fucking know wherever the kids are these days, share it, tell people to subscribe. If you can leave a rating review, please do that. It does help the podcast. I know we have a lot of people. I don't know. In America, we seem to be blowing up in terms of people, just more and more Americans listening. So if you are an American uh, listening to this, by all means, tell your friends about it. Um, that would be fantastic for us because obviously growing our audience is just, you know, great for our business in general. And that's something we want to, you know, keep going. If you enjoy this, the way you help it is by telling other people that you enjoy it. Yeah. Anyway, I have nothing else to say. Enjoy your week ahead, guys, and we'll talk to you again.